Greetings and welcome to the latest edition of the AMSSM Sports MedCast, produced in collaboration with the BJSM. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Wessels, and I'm excited to be joined today by Dr. Stacy Sims. Dr. Sims is an international exercise physiologist and nutrition science. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. I look forward to chatting. She has directed research programs at Stanford, AUT University, and the University of Waikato, focusing on female athlete health and performance, and she's pushed the envelope improving research for all women. Her contributions to research environments and sports nutrition industry has established a new niche in sports nutrition, and she is an expert, maybe the world expert in sex differences in training, nutrition, and health. Dr. Sims has published over 70 peer-reviewed papers and several books, and we are very lucky to have her on our podcast today. Oh, thanks. I often hear that bio. I'm like, who are they talking about? But mm-hmm. okay, what's that? You. You, you've done lots <laughs> of good things. Dr. Sims, we're excited to have you uh, at our national conference coming up here. You're going to be talking about some of these topics. Tell us how you got started in nutrition and, and, and your, in your field. So longtime athlete, but also academic. I wanted to be a chef when I was younger. My parents like, no, 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 no chef life for my daughter. You have to go to university. So um, <laughs> kind of had that thread. And as I got into exercise physiology and trying to understand how the body fuels itself and understanding the importance of nutrition, really trying to get through like, what are the things that we need to look at, not from a nutrient science point of view, but more of a whole food supporting health and performance. because so many diet trends and missteps in supplementation actually don't really help the performance angle so much as when we start looking at it from that more holistic point of view. And so you were on the crew, I think, uh, in college? I was. I was on the rowing team, and that kind of set the scene, I think, for most people might have known my story where I was on the rowing team, and we were all training like the men. And some of the women, most of us, we weren't quite reaching peak when the men were, and we're trying to figure out, well, what was going on? And it was the same time when I was in undergrad doing ex-phys, starting to ask the questions of, you know, what's going on? And I would volunteer to be part of the metabolism labs. And they threw my results out as anomalies saying mm-hmm. I didn't standardize. I'm like, nope, I'm the daughter of a colonel. I know exactly how to follow directions. I standardize mm-hmm. appropriately. So digging a bit more and they're like, well, you know what? We don't really study women they're too difficult we just generalize from male data and that kind of struck me as a chord going wait a second we are different and when you go through textbooks you go through case studies it's all about the male norm and when we look at female athletes we are different from a cellular all the way to a whole person level and it really never made sense to me why we weren't looking into that yeah that it's amazing to think about the obvious you know there's so many different ways that we try to standardize everybody to be the same, but, you know, individualizing and thinking about training specific for the person and their abilities, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I mean, when we think about some of the wearables now, right, and we're looking at heart rate variability as a metric for recovery, but the algorithms have been based on the male environment. So it doesn't take into account the longer QT interval for women versus men. So when the algorithm reads it, it missteps and says, hey, wait, well, maybe there is a misstep and you're not recovered as much. Really, it's just a normal normality. Doesn't pick up a change in the autonomic nervous system in the luteal phase where all of a sudden 
you have an increase in your resting heart rate, increase in your respiratory rate, but that's a normal thing. So yeah. there's a lot of interesting things that are still apparent that aren't taking into account just basic female physiology. Hmm. You know, I'm thinking about our listeners who range from, you know, practicing physicians to physios to PTs, you know, how do we, how do we start to chip away at this intro and maybe we're not quite as we don't know all the things that you would know about the nutrition but where do we start in in getting a in a, an athlete to optimize their nutrition i think the baseline for so many female athletes is eating enough because we see this and we hear about relative energy deficiency in sport we see low energy availability we see a lot of the push for fasted training for metabolic efficiency and all of that efficiency data, the fasting data has been done on men. When we look at female physiology and we look at things like kisspeptin neurons in the hypothalamus, which are very sensitive to um, nutrient changes and low calorie availability, women have two areas of those kisspeptin neurons in the hypothalamus and men have one. So by the nature of having a more sensitive read on appetite and calorie density, when women start to do fasted training or they delay eating after training, it creates a catabolic cascade that then turns the menstrual cycle down and we start to see menstrual cycle dysfunction. But for men, if they do fasted training or delay eating, they can still get away with it because it doesn't perturb the hypothalamus until you're Mm. dropping below 15 calories per kilogram of body weight. Mm. There's just a small little nuances within just general nutrition of women need to time what they're doing and eating. So they're fueling for what they're doing. They're recovering from it with optimal nutrition, making sure they have enough carbohydrate availability, not only for brain health and and exercise, but also just general health. Then there's a little bit, like I said, a little bit more of a leeway. So they can play a little bit more with the fad diets. But for women, it's a complete misstep to really ignore the fact that there is a baseline amount of carbohydrate and calories that we need just to have endocrine health. And mm. then we can start looking at, okay, how are we manipulating calories throughout the day if we need to do a little bit of body recovery? Wow, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I think I talk with a lot of my athletes about getting the appropriate fuel and fueling before performance and things before activity. What are some of the ways that you get a patient or an athlete to be aware of, of their nutrition? We start small because so many of the female athletes that I end up seeing, they're existing on 1,700 calories a day and their output is 3,000, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at endurance athletes, professional cyclists, Ironman, that kind of stuff. And they always are coming and saying, hey, I'm putting body weight on. I'm always tired. I'm training hard. I'm eating well, but I don't know what's wrong. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I look at is like, well, you're not eating enough. And that's not what an athlete wants to hear if they're putting weight on. So we don't ever say you need to eat another thousand calories. We go, okay, let's take a step back and make sure that you're having something before your morning session. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that's heavy. It could be a banana. It could be a protein fortified latte. It could be a piece of toast. Just so that we're bringing blood sugar up, we're signaling to the brain that there's nutrition coming in. You do Mm -hmm. your session and then within 30 minutes, you're having protein and carbohydrate to help refuel the muscles. Also shut down that catabolic state from exercise and signal Mm -hmm. to the hypothalamus. There's nutrition. We can do this. We can adapt. Hmm. And then at every meal, we're getting 30 to 40 grams of protein. So we start with that. Hmm. We start really fueling in around all the sessions, making sure that they have adequate fuel to hit the intensities and the durations that they need, recover from it. And when we start doing that, we 
actually start eking in almost 800 calories just around there, they mm. start to see body composition change in a positive way. They start to see better performance metrics so they can hit the intensities. They're recovering better. Their RPE per session is lower. So they feel better in their trainings, which then feeds forward into better fitness, less injury, less illness, and better, better overall performance. Hmm. So it's the small things of timing that make a huge difference. Okay, so can I, let me ask you more on when you're thinking of timing around a workout, does it matter what the workout is or is it more about the intensity or duration or how intense do you put some of the calories in front or some of it at the conclusion of the workout? How, how do you structure that? If we're doing a resistance training session first thing in the morning, it's not as critical to have a lot of carbohydrate on board before because it's not as depleting as a cardiovascular workout. So we look around 20 grams of protein before a resistance training session. Okay. Afterwards, we're looking you know, 20 to 25 grams of protein within 30 to 45 minutes, and then carbohydrate. The way we translate it is, you know what, you're going to have a couple of hard-boiled eggs, or you're going to put a scoop of protein powder in your coffee or your almond milk before you get to the gym. In the gym, you're using hydration, you know, you're drinking water with a little bit of salt, maybe you're using a low-sugar electrolyte drink, and then you're having breakfast when you get home, or you're having breakfast in the car that you've prepared as you're getting to your job, whatever it yeah. is, right? So we really make it manageable. If we're looking at a long endurance session, then we have to have a little bit more on board. So this is where you're looking at a banana and a piece of toast with your protein fortified coffee. Mm -hmm. And then you have a 90 minute plus session, which is a little bit depleting. You're going to have to have something during that session. Mm -hmm. So we look at having some real food it could be, you know, it could be as easy as grabbing a protein bar, which isn't that much real food or having a banana and some nuts or, you know, trail mix, something that's going to help sustain it. And then again, you get off the bike, you get in from your run, you do a little bit of stretching, you have protein oriented hydration drink can be something that you've done yourself or protein powder so that you're getting stuff in before you take your shower. So it's really being tight around it and knowing that the more depleting it is and the more intense it is, the more calories you're going to need to be able to book in that session. And then what are the athletes getting for their feedback to, to see this successful? Do they find that they have better results in their training or are they seeing different metrics on their trackers and things like that? A combination. For the most part, they feel better. They aren't feeling so fatigued. They're, again, their rating of perceived exertion in a particular workload goes down. A lot of my cyclists are seeing higher power output for their sessions. Sometimes they're like, I didn't even know I could push that power for that long. It's just mm -hmm. because they're fueled for it. For my swimmers, their body comp changes. They So they, you know, when you have a cold water immersion response and you're so used to swimming first thing in the morning when it's cold and you're not eating, then you put on a little bit more body fat. We see that when they start fueling, then the body recomps and they have less subcutaneous body fat and get leaner. And they also get faster and with less drag in the water. So that tends to be more the metrics from like, intrinsic and, and feeling good. And then from an external wearable standpoint, we look at sleep architecture. Mm. And when we're looking at better fueling, then we have better sleep architecture. Because a lot of times when people aren't fueling appropriately, they'll have a lot of wake up sessions in the middle of the night, but it's because they're hypoglycemic. Mm. So if we nail that on the head, then they get into slow wave repetitive sleep. They get into longer stages of REM sleep. 
and their sleep architecture is better, which we then know feeds forward into feeling better, not as fatigued, which feeds forward again into the next session. Sure. Wow. So that's really interesting on how to apply the nutrition. And then how does the calories of the snack, that, are those separate? Do you think about like the protein related separate from the meals or is it an integrated kind of plan throughout the day? It's integrative because I'm not a person that's really like pushing. You have to have X amount of calories and X mm-hmm. amount of protein. Mm-hmm. I want people to realize that it's fueling just like you wouldn't take a normal gas powered car out on E on the highway. Right? right. So I use that analogy a lot and people are like, yeah, you're right. That's like, so why are you going to put your body on who's on E out trying to do some efforts? Yeah. It's really the taste preferences of the athletes, making sure that they're getting whole foods around it. If they can't eat a lot first thing in the morning, then we look to some liquid or some really easy to digest food. And then throughout the day, we're like, okay, it's the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time we're looking for whole foods. We're looking for colorful fruit and veg, whole grains, sandwiches, that kind of stuff. And then 20% fudge factor for life. So Mm. we're not excluding chocolate. We're not excluding the occasional beer or wine, but we want to, as we get closer to competition, then yeah, we look at a 90-10 rule instead of an 80-10 rule. Hmm. But trying to make it a lifestyle instead of, I have to do this for my training. Sure. I think that makes a lot of sense. Tell me a little bit more about how you have a clinic or or do you have coaching or how do you work with athletes and, and patients directly? So a lot of coaches will get a hold of me asking. And so then I'll have individual consults with the athletes. Sometimes the coaches sit in. I work mm-hmm. with quite a few NSOs, so national sporting organizations here, working with their dietitians, or if they have a particular athlete that needs help. But the biggest is parents of their younger athletes who are really worried for their girls whose periods become irregular who have seen a sports physician and a sports physician because New Zealand's so small because you need to talk to this woman who mm-hmm. knows about female athletes. Mm-hmm. It's not my main practice, but I do definitely put a focus on helping athletes to educate them. And then they never have to see me again because they know what to do. That's really cool. I just want to uh, remind our listeners that we're talking to Dr. Stacy Sims. She's going to be one of our international featured speakers at the AMSSM conference that's coming up in the end of April uh, will be down in Phoenix. She has two sessions on the main stage covering the similar topics about what we we covered, I think. Are there other things that you found to be high yield or you know some of your big takeaways that you you try to get out to your listeners or your athletes that you work with? Yeah, it has a lot to do around supplements because we see so much stuff about supplements and we know that there's not a lot of efficacy for some of the popular supplements for female athletes. Mm-hmm. So blanket across the board, I'm like, you know, let's let's stay away from supplements. Let's try mm-hmm. to really look at training loads, intensity. And then if we want to look at an ergogenic aid like beta alanine, or we want to look at nitrates, then we have to make sure that it's clean and how are we actually going to apply it but there's so many people like oh i'm using beta alanine creatine caffeine and all of these things like no let's remove it because we don't know actually how your body can respond and we want to see if we can improve the responses without the supplementation yeah it's interesting when you pull it away and people like well i never thought i could do that without xyz Mm -hmm. because they're so addicted to their pre-workout caffeinated thing it's like well maybe if we just have some green tea or espresso and then get into it see how much body better your body can respond that was one of my questions but i thought it might be too much for our 
our window here was to get into supplements or or things around that. But that's a that's a good takeaway, and then slowly add add things back in. Um, exactly. So that's that's really cool. Well, I know you've written a book, and you've been on lots of other podcasts, when, and so there's lots of different ways that that our listeners can can learn more about what you do and. I, I think they'll be excited to come listen to you talk uh, at our conference. Thanks. I'm looking forward to it. I get to come home and talk the stuff that I love and meet new people. Excited. That's very cool. I would like to thank you, the listener, for taking time out of your day to learn with me today. If you'd like to learn more and hear from Dr. Stacy Sims, just a reminder that our annual AMSSM meeting registration is now open. The meeting is April 28th through May 3rd in Phoenix, Arizona. I look forward to having you back for the next edition of the AMSSM Sports Medcast.